Well, we are so glad that you joined us today. We're going to have a great time together in God's Word. And I truly believe that what we are going to talk about today and what God wants to do in your life today for many will bring a new level of freedom and spiritual joy in your life that you never thought possible. But first, let's start with the question. Est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready to study God's word today? Uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture as we continue today in our series called The Six Habits of Healthy People. And in the first four weeks of this series, we've looked at a number of different subjects. In the first four weeks of the series, the first week we talked about some spiritual habits that we need to establish in, in our lives. We, we talked about in the second week our health and, and physical habits. In week three, we talked about work habits. And then the last week, we talked about some financial habits habits. And, and if you missed it this week, I want to really, really encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast from this week on the Moncton Wesleyan podcast. And also, uh, we, we live streamed that whole discussion Wednesday night. And so you can go back on our Facebook page if you'd like to see everybody's faces. We had an amazing conversation. We had a, some guest experts who helped uh, talk about finances from an approach of a young person to an old person and everywhere in between. And there was such amazing financial advice. We took people's questions live. And then in the last 20 or 30 minutes of that thing, people just started sharing their stories of how God had worked financial miracles in their lives when they finally stepped out in faith and began practicing biblical finances. And so today, today we get to week five, value your relationships, how to make relationships right. Now, last week at the end of the service, I mentioned that, that there are three topics, three huge topics that we see come up again and again, in 26 years for me of doing this, how often when people start to make spiritual progress, they come up against this, this, this spiritual roadblock. How many times even when people come to Christ and are part of a church and part of a small group and, and in the Bible and praying and doing all the right stuff, but so many Christians seem to come against this barrier of bondage in their lives where they never find the joy and the freedom God wants for them. And what we have found so often when you start to get beneath the surface that often, again and again and again, I see it happen, that the three, one of three issues is, is a roadblock that they've not been able to get past. And it's one of these. Last week, which we talked about finances, the, the financial fear that, that people have to step out in faith and do what God leads us to do. Or relationships, unforgiveness, bitterness in our heart against someone who hurt us in the past. Or the last thing, sexual purity, 
some sexual issue. And by the way, that's why next week the message is going to be PG-13. So we want to give you a heads up, parents. And with that, by the way, did you catch our children's ministry service this morning on the MW Kids Facebook page? What an, it was like a 20-minute service, phenomenal, with, with all kinds of great elements. Uh, even, if, even if you don't have kids, you might want to share that with somebody, the MW, or MW Kids Facebook page, because they are constantly putting out amazing resources and have service for kids online every Sunday morning. So check that out especially next week, right? And so uh, I've seen it again and again and again, though, where people come to Jesus and they begin growing in so many areas until they come up against one of these roadblocks and many times they don't even realize that one of these reasons is why they're stuck. So today we're gonna dig into this, this issue of relationships and see that the Bible is filled with guidance on how to get along with difficult people and how to deal with conflict and, and division and, uh, and how to deal with the hurt that we have in our hearts. Because listen, the human heart was designed for connection. And when I say connection, I don't just mean like marriage and romance and all the stuff our world gets, gets so worked up about as if that's the only real kind of friendship and relationship that we need to be complete. Listen, only Jesus can complete you. Some man or woman out there is not going to complete you. Only Jesus can fill that longing in our heart. But beyond even just marriage in, in, in what God calls us, uh, to, to look at what sacred marriage is in Scripture. The, and, and singleness is sacred as well in Scripture. So don't ever let anybody devalue you because you're not married. I, I wasn't even planning on talking about this. So let me just stop for just a second, though, and mention single people. Listen, it is better to be single and full in Christ than to compromise and be with somebody you wish you were never with in the first place. Come on now. Okay, let's get back to the scripture. So, but, but we're talking about today, overall, just basic human connection is hardwired into our DNA. Look at the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2 verse 18, he said, It is not good for man to be alone I will make a helpmate suitable for him. And so I think there are two things we see here. First of all, that we were not created for isolation. One of the things that I've noticed is, is when, when I kind of get off by myself, you know, maybe out in the, out in the woods somewhere and, 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 you know, off in the country somewhere and don't have to deal with people's problems and don't have to deal with people complaining about this or that or not having to deal with family stuff, not having to deal with the dump fire that is social media. And when I go off on a prayer retreat somewhere or go off on a motorcycle trip by myself and, and, and where I can just totally focus on God and I can start to think, Watch out now. I can start to think, oh man, I have become such a holy person. I, I really am becoming more and more like Jesus. But then here comes the problem. When reality sets in, the problem is, 
eventually I have to come back to town, right? And, and, and have to start dealing with people. And all of a sudden, we begin to realize, listen, I'm not as perfect as I think I am. And so here's why. Because human relationships are tested, are, are the test for our faith. Your faith is tested through relationships. Uh, years ago, I saw an amazing quote from John Maxwell who teaches on a lot of this. And he said, spiritual growth begins in isolation, but it never matures there. See, spiritual growth begins in the quiet place. Spiritual growth begins in the private time that you spend with God. In your Bible and in prayer and in, in worship. Spiritual growth begins in times of isolation with God. But the place where it is tested, the place where our faith matures is in the crucible of human relationships. We were not meant to live in isolation, and that's why, that's why, number two, we all need help, right? We all need help. Here in Genesis, when God created man, God looked at the man he had created and said, hmm, I think I can do better. <laughs> and he made woman. <laughs> Come on. Let me see it in the comments. Women, you want to give me an amen. We all need help. We all need accountability and spiritual community. But if you notice something in our society, that, that Satan does not want that. We have a spiritual enemy who is, who is constantly trying to drive people apart. Because that's what Satan does. He causes conflict and division in our families, in our, in our churches. He, he wants to drive a wedge into our relationships and our politics and keep people angry at each other all the time. And he's done an awful good job at that in the last year, hasn't he? And so the question is, what does the Bible say about making peace in our relationships? We're just going to touch on, on just a portion of all that Scripture has to say surrounding this subject. But even still, I'm going to be throwing so many different verses and ideas at you. It's going to be hard to keep up. I'm going to throw scripture bombs all over the place. Bible verses are going to be going boom, boom, boom. And it's going to be hard to keep up. So maybe you could just write down these verses whenever you see them on the screen. Or uh, maybe you could go back and watch this again or listen to it on our podcast so that you can, uh, can really Dig into these scriptures on your own. But the first thing we're going to see in scripture is, number one, confront with care. There's this, this amazing example in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, the last book of the Bible, where Jesus confronts a group of people. And, and, and I want to walk through some of the things that we see in this confrontation how Jesus did it. Because often Christians 
can, can get into all kinds of trouble doing all kinds of bis- biblical or unbiblical things, going against what Jesus said, talking behind people's backs rather than going to them directly. And so here's what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. First, he starts with the positive. In Revelation 2 verse 2, let me read it for you. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. And so first of all, notice, Jesus, he's about to lower the boom, okay? He's about to tell them something negative. He's about to point out a problem, but notice that he does not start out with the problem. He starts first with the positive. And then next, he, he shows us that we need to remember that we are not enemies. Revelation 2 verse 3, in the next verse he says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And so first he starts with the positive and then he reminds them, look, hey guys, we're on the same team here. Know that just just because I'm about to point out a problem doesn't mean that I don't love you. This doesn't mean that I don't appreciate you. We're not enemies. We're in this together. And then here it comes. He states the problem. In verse 3, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And so Jesus goes ahead and he states the problem. He says, look, here's the issue. And then finally, offer to be part of the solution. You see, Jesus doesn't just point out problems. He is always part of the solution. And so whenever you confront somebody with an issue, what if we were to follow these these steps that we see with Jesus, where, where number one, he starts with the positive, tell the person all the good things that you see, Number two, he reminds them, hey, look, we're not enemies here. We're on the same team. I love you. I care about you. We're in this together. And then number three, he states the problem. Yes, he says, I I hold this against you. Let's talk about it. But then number four, we live in a world filled with complainers. Jesus' people need to be part of the solution. Amen? Okay, now here's another thing that keeps us humble. Number two, let God reveal your weakness through others. Now, if you know me, you know that I love the story of Jacob and Leah in Genesis. The story of Jacob and Leah, if you're not familiar with it in in the Old Testament, uh, begins with, with well, I mean, it begins with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like long before that. But, but the story of Jacob, uh, as he grows into a young man, we soon discover that Jacob is a deceiver and a liar. 
He, he lies to and tricks his brother. And then he lies to and tricks his father. And he causes all kinds of problems in his family. And then he does what a lot of us do with relational problems. He then tries to run away. And so he runs away and he ends up at the house of a man named Laban. And he begins to work for Laban. And he, he sees that Laban has a beautiful daughter named Rachel. And the two of them fall in love. And so he, he asks Laban if they can get married. And so they work out a deal where Jacob works as a servant for Laban for seven years, like no pay, like a slave for Laban for seven years to earn the right to marry his daughter, Rachel. And so at the end of the seven years, he's so happy. He, he's, he's just on top of the world, so excited for his wedding day. And, and the wedding day happens and she comes out with a veil and, and, and he's just overwhelmed and, and the wedding ceremony ends and they go on their honeymoon, they go into the tent and finally, he gets to see the face of his bride. And so he reaches out and he lifts the veil. And who does he see? Not Rachel. Who is it? It's her sister, Leah, the one he did not want. And he is so furious. And in Genesis 29, verse 25, it's so ironic what he says. Jacob says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, now, isn't this ironic? I mean, after all, remember, this is Jacob, the very guy who lied to and tricked his brother, the very guy who lied to and deceived his father, and now he himself is being deceived. And so, so catch this. Here's what happens. Jacob has a weakness in his life. And God uses Laban to expose it. See, see, catch this. God shows Jacob his own sin through the sin of Laban. And, and, and often we find this will happen in, in parent-child relationships. I remember... Uh, one time when I was growing up, still living at home, and, and uh, my, fa my father punished me for something that I had done. And in the midst of, of punishing me, he was angry. And, but then, all of a sudden, he started crying. And, and I couldn't understand what was going on. I, I, I was kind of confused. And then he explained to me, the reason this upset him so much is because he had done the very same thing when he was growing up. That I, I was making the same mistakes that he made. And isn't it true that so often the things that upset us most about our children are the things that they learn from us? And when you start to get upset with somebody, sometimes it's really valuable to stop and say, why does, why does this make me so angry? Why am I so upset? And sometimes the answer is maybe what that person is doing is revealing a weakness in, in me. In fact, if I'm constantly having relational problems, if I'm constantly facing conflict with people, 
maybe I'm part of the problem. I, I love the story about a guy who went to see a psychiatrist. And, and he has a cantaloupe cut in half, scooped out, wearing it on his, hat like, on his head like a helmet. He, he's got a piece of bacon wrapped around each ear. Can, can you picture it? And he comes walking into the psychiatrist's office. The psy psychiatrist can see him come and says, oh man, we got a live one here. And so he walks in, he's got a cantaloupe on his head, he's got bacon wrapped around each ear, and he sits down and he says, Doc, I need to talk to you about a problem with my brother. And how often do we do that? Where we walk around with a cantaloupe on our head, bacon wrapped around our ear, all kinds of problems, but we want to point out everybody else's problem. Like the song, come on, the song, if you want to make the world a better place, Take a look at yourself and make a change. Okay, moving on, seriously. Number three, don't compare to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves, they are not wise. And so often we think, well, you know, I may not be perfect, but I'm a, at least I'm better than, than that person. But see, the problem is that person is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And compared to Jesus, we all fall short. Number four, destroy bitterness like the cancer that it is. Now, now, why do we compare bitterness to cancer? Well, it's because unforgiveness, bitterness, is something beneath the surface that no one else can see. And in the hidden place, it grows and multiplies and starts to infect our relationships and destroy our soul in so many areas. The irony is that you try to hurt the other person and all you end up doing is hurting yourself. It's, it's been said that unforgiveness, bitterness is like drinking poison thinking that somehow that will hurt the other person. Three steps to destroying bitterness. First of all, forgive everyone who has offended you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, at the end of our time together today, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk and pray through how to forgive people who have hurt us. Just as in Christ, God forgave us. So, so I hope you'll stay with us for that. Next, believe God for healing. Psalm 143 verse 7 says that God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And it is only 
after we forgive that God can begin the healing process in our lives. And that's why Satan tries to keep us trapped with unforgiveness so that bitterness can grow like a cancer. But when you exercise the miracle of forgiveness, Satan's power is broken and God can begin to heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. Look at this next one. Deal quickly with your anger. Don't let it build, and here's why. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't let the devil get that foothold in your life. See, the Bible says if you allow unforgiveness to build, if you hold on to anger, that allows, you are giving Satan permission to put his foot in the door in your life. Many times when we help people with addictions, with alcohol or, or, or gambling or pornography or shopping or food or drugs, many times what you find is people who struggle with bondage and addictions, when they get into counseling or, or into Celebrate Recovery and start working through some of those issues, getting down beneath the surface, that, that, that many times what you will find is that often there has been somewhere at some time someone who hurt them deeply and they held on to it. And it began to grow deep down inside of them. That unforgiveness became a root of bitterness. And here's what happens. When you have a root of bitterness, it produces the fruit of destruction in your life. And that's why the Bible says whatever you do, Deal with your anger quickly. Give it to God. Seek his wisdom. Forgive the person who has hurt you and give that pain to God to let him deal with it so that the devil cannot get that foothold in your life. Instead, here's what we do. Number five, repay your offenders with kindness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And then 1 Peter 3 verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but rather with blessing. Think about how much of the division and the anger in our world could be mitigated if we were to start just doing what the Bible says. Number six, share in the joy and the pain of others. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Uh, my wife, Tracy, used to always watch the Miss America pageant. Have you ever seen the Miss America pageant? Now, she doesn't watch it anymore 
I, or not very often, I guess, these days, but she used to when we were first married. She used to watch it uh, quite a bit every year. And uh, I, I'm going to get in trouble for telling you this. Oh, don't tell her. You promise not to tell my wife. Okay. One of the reasons that Tracy finds it interesting to watch that, because she kind of knows the inside of it. My wife was, she was Miss Teen of Virginia. Don't tell her I told you, okay? She'll get mad at, at, at me. But so Tracy used to watch the Miss America pageant every year. And there's this one part that I, I like to see. And no, it's not the swimsuits. Stop that. The, the part that I like to see is the very end. I, I really don't care about all the rest. I just like to see the very end when they announce the winner. And it's not the winner that I, that I want to see. Because I know what the winner's going to do. They all do the same thing. She's going to go, oh, and then she's going to, you know, put her hand in front of her mouth and go like, oh, like this, and then the makeup's going to start to run. And like, they all do that. We know exactly what the winner's going to do. But then they'll take the camera off the winner for just a second, and they'll zoom in on the runner-up, the person who came in second place. And there she is back there, trying to smile. You know, she's like doing facial contortions, trying to pretend like she's happy. And the reason that that moment is so profound is because every one of us, we know what it is like to be runner-up. We all know the pain of seeing a dream not realized. And even worse, to see someone else get what we wanted. And listen, it is in those moments that we see our level of maturity. As Romans 12 says, do we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? Number seven, risk expressing positive feelings towards others. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And Proverbs 16 24 says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And I can't help but to wonder how many relationships could be healed if we were to just do what the Bible says, if, if someone, if, if finally someone would rise up and say, look, 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 I know that we have a disagreement here. Look, I, I know that there's a conflict. I know that we have a problem right now, but I just want to stop and remind you that I love you. I care about you so much. We're not enemies. We're on the same team together as we work through this issue. And I wonder, why don't we do that more often? And I think it's because Satan keeps us trapped with our foolish, foolish pride. But what if someone, what if you were to rise up and say to that person some gracious words, some kind words as a honeycomb that becomes sweetness to the soul and healing to the bones. There was a man in Spain who had a teenage son named Paco. 
And this father and son got into conflict as many fathers and sons do. And in the midst of their, their fighting, they each said things that they regretted. And the son in his hurt at the harshness of his father packed up and ran away from home. And after some time, this, this grieving father went to the big city of Madrid searching for his son. And when he arrived in town, he went to the newspaper office. This is kind of an old story. He went to the newspaper office and he, and he put an ad in the newspaper that said, Dear Paco, I have come for you. Meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at noon. I forgive you. Will you forgive me, loving Father? He signed it, I love you, your Father. And so the next day he showed up at the appointed time at the newspaper office. And when he arrived there, he, he was shocked to see the street filled with people. Young men, he, he wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Was it a parade or an event? No, that day, hundreds of young men named Paco showed up all seeking the forgiveness of their fathers. And I wonder today if maybe you have a troubled heart. If so, there is only one solution. Know that your heavenly Father is the only one who can bring peace to your troubled heart. And then here's what's beautiful. Once you have made peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, once you get that vertical relationship right, then, then God wants to empower you to make peace with others. And so right now, I just wonder if we could pray together. Maybe you've never made that decision for Christ. If so, right now, wherever you are, could you just shut out the distractions and listen to the voice of God speaking to you? And just in your heart, as you speak to God right now, just maybe, maybe you're in a place, maybe there are other people with you in the room and you feel like you can't do it out loud. I understand. You can do it quietly in your heart if you need to at this moment or, or maybe you're all by yourself right now and you want to verbalize, say this out loud to God. But just right now in your heart, say, Father, I confess that I've been trying to do life my way. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you in so many different areas of my life. But today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Let belief and faith rise up from within you as you say to God, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. Oh. And I commit to follow you. Right now, just commit in your heart to follow him 
for the rest of your life and to build your life on the foundation of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, after the song that we're gonna sing in just a few minutes, we're gonna be able to, to help you give some follow-up some follow steps, some next steps if you made a decision to follow, a, uh, to, to follow Jesus today. And so please stick around to the very, very end today so that you don't miss that. But before we sing this song and then close with, with those instructions, I think it would be a missed opportunity for some of us to find freedom in our hearts today if we did not stop and do what we've been talking about. That maybe as we were walking through God's word today, there were specific names that came to mind. Maybe there were specific people who hurt you and right now you can see their face and it's painful for you because of the hurt, the offense, whatever it is that they did to you. And here's the lie that Satan tells us. What Satan says is he tries to convince you by not forgiving that person and holding on to bitterness in your heart that somehow you're hurting them. But you're not. You're only hurting yourself. And so forgiveness is saying, I'm gonna let them off the hook. I'm not gonna hold it against them anymore. And, and you're like, but that's not fair. They need to be punished. Oh, I know, you're right. You're absolutely right. They do need to be punished, perhaps for what they've done. But God says, vengeance is not yours, it's his. Do you trust that God will take care of it for you? See, that's faith. And so right now, would you forgive so that Satan can get that foothold out of your life, kick him out of your life so that his power and his bondage can be broken so that you can be set free and move to the next level of what God wants for you? If so, right now in your heart, would you just say, Lord, I can see that person right now and I feel the pain of what they did to me. But Lord, I know I can trust you. I know you'll take care of it. And so right now, I choose in my heart to forgive. And as you declare forgiveness, and, and you know what, it might start to bitterness might start to creep back into your life tomorrow or the next day or the next day after that. You might have to keep forgiving until, you, until you're finally set free. You might need to do this again tomorrow. You might need to do it the day after that. But don't give up until you are free from that pain. And listen, listen, here's what we do. We pray, Lord, I can see it right now, Lord, that as I forgive as I declare forgiveness, as I give it to you, Lord, that that chain is broken. I'm no longer bound to my past anymore. I've been set free by the goodness of God. And I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. 
Oh, we look forward, God, to the stories. We look forward to the stories of victory that are going to take place in the days to come. Stories of how people were set free because of what they did today. According to your word, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen, amen.